Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm here as always with uh, co-host John Mixon. Uh, John, how are you? Good, Dan. The International Schools Podcast. I always say that because I'm sure there's somebody listening who's like, what podcast are they talking about? I'm joking. Yeah, I tease yeah, you every time. I tease you every time. <laughs> anyway, Dan, I'm really curious about, you know, we did the uh, Saudi Arabia tech directors, which I think was really interesting. You had traveled there and it was just nice to hear different things and perspectives. And as you said, we didn't get much on IT, but we really got about life, being an educator, being a leader in that context. Me being born and raised in Switzerland and being a Swiss citizen, I, I'm going to sit here and just listen to our guests talk about Switzerland. How often do you get a group of you know bright school leaders and tech enthusiasts to kind of talk about your country? So I feel very blessed today. Definitely, John. Well, look, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a good chat. Um, Otherwise, uh, I think you've been in Switzerland since we last spoke. I don't think you've been anywhere. No, I have just been uh, busy uh, doing some cool engineering projects with kids. Uh, and yeah, no, it's been really nice. Uh, global warming, you know, no snow. Uh, it's just crazy. That is, I think now people are starting, they're like, huh, okay, this is again no snow. I think suddenly we're realizing that the game is on and what do we do? And sure. uh, that's a whole podcast on its own. Yeah, yeah, well, definitely. I was actually at your old school today, funnily enough, at the International School of Prague. Oh, cool. Where they're building a whole new STEM center. It's And they're actually build, they're building like three different things. It's, there's a whole construction craziness nice. going in there right now. So uh, interesting. Actually, one of our guests, actually, we're doing a podcast with Elizabeth and Sarah, who are part of that uh, project here in a, few, uh, in a couple months. So that'll be interesting to hear more about the STEM Center, and also Sarah and Elizabeth, who are maker uh, facilitators, what they're doing. Uh, that sounds really exciting. So have they broken ground, Dan? No, they're just, uh, right now, they're kind of dispatching different staff members. Like, some of them are going to America, and they're seeing, like, two schools a day. They Like, it sounds pretty crazy. For six days, they're seeing two schools a day in different cities every every day, just to see that they've picked out certain schools they think are doing innovative things with with STEM and and, uh, and spaces and stuff. So it's interesting. They're all traveling around. Um, Sheldon was just out in Asia visiting a bunch of schools in Singapore and um, I think Hong Kong as well. So really interesting. Cool. I think there's something to be said to actually have people go and look at other schools, you know, because yeah, then you, cool. when you're on the ground, you can really see it in, in reality, kind of in the nitty gritty. And I think also it gives you an opportunity to kind of ask those questions that maybe you can't on a Zoom call or through an email. I like that idea. You see interesting things. So not We're going to get on the topic in a second, I promise. But you know, I was just thinking about, um, I was in Hong Kong in December and I went to a school called ESF, sorry, ISF, not ESF, English, uh, International School Foundation. I'm not sure if anyone, anyone's uh -huh. heard of it. Really interesting. And that was the most impressive I've ever seen at international school. They had a biotech lab there. Um, they were doing gene sequencing. They had a professor full-time on secondment to the school. It's mostly Hong Kong Chinese. It's, the school is mostly focused on Hong Kong Chinese families. Um, multiple students had academic papers published post-PhD post level. That's and I, I, was, I was just there and I'm thinking, we're finished in the West. Like, my kids are never going to do that. Of course they are. Come on, Dan. They're going to go to Prague. There's going to be a steam center. Yeah, and they're going to exactly, do bioengineering. Exactly. Anyway, let's get on to the topic. Um, we've got, uh, I really, I get everyone to introduce themselves really quickly. We've got four, uh, five tech directors on the call today, which is fantastic. All I've known at uh, different times, all living in Switzerland in different places. So it'd be great to quickly go around and give a super quick intro. Maybe go Darren, Wolfgang. Tim, Chris, and then Gus. 
Sounds Hi. good. Sorry. Um, yeah, I'm Darren. I work at Eglon College boarding school in the Swiss Alps. Um, it's interesting you were talking about visiting. Um, we've just been on a program of visiting universities because we're looking at building an innovation centre. And actually, we want to prepare the students for their next step, really, and kind of work backwards from there. So. Yeah, interesting. Fantastic. Great. And Wolfgang? Yeah, hi. <clears throat> I'm Wolfgang Solner. I, I work at Ickerland, the International School of Geneva. Um, seem to be uh, on, on this podcast yeah, <laughs> every, month, every month or so. Um, yeah, I mean, interesting, right, with the, with the school visits. I think there's such so much to be said to send teams um, of educators or leaders to schools to, to have like pre-visit meetings, during visit meetings and post-visit meetings. Um, we're, we're in the in the midst, as John knows, about um, really looking at also STEAM and, and what that means for us as a foundation. We've got a STEM center at one of our campuses, but at the same time for our 100 year anniversary, which the school's turning, um, we're going to uh, try and work with local um, organizations like CERN and the APFL to, to potentially put on a, a big STEAM day or days next year. Um, to try and really see where that leads us and and how we can use, um, leverage where we are, basically. Fantastic. Uh, and Tim? Hi. Uh, sorry, I just added a bookmark to my browser instead of unmuting. <laughs> Tech guy problems. Uh, I'm Tim. I work at TASIS, uh, which is also known as the American School in Switzerland. Uh, we're down in sunny Ticino enjoying some really nice weather uh, and the global warming uh, <laughs> as you all. And yeah, I, visiting other schools has been such a good opportunity for myself to see how people manage their technology. The spaces have become increasingly interesting for me, especially being here. We don't have a lot of space uh, on our campus, but we, make, we try to make the most of it. And there's some really cool ideas out there on how people are tackling those problems. So I would love to get out and see more schools uh, as much as possible. Um, but yeah, yeah, happy to be here. Thanks. Fantastic. And Chris? Hi. Um, yeah, Chris Vincent from the International School of Zürgen in central Switzerland, German-speaking Switzerland. Um, visiting schools, uh, I... Um, well, looking forward to being in Basel uh, tomorrow as uh, SGIS uh, tech folks uh, come together. But also um, uh, in terms of visiting schools, one of the sort of best uh, PDs I do is uh, I, I work with accrediting organizations and uh, chairing a, a synchronized visit to a school in, in Germany. Um, and uh, yeah, as well as sort of giving back to the school through you know a peer evaluation process, um, always fascinating to to find what other schools are doing and how they solve problems. So I look forward to that as well. Fantastic, uh, Gus. Hi. So my name is Gus Alcala. I'm uh, the IT manager at the International School Rheintal. We are the German-speaking part of Switzerland, surrounded by the Austrian Liechtenstein Alps. Um, it's almost 10 degrees right now, so it's pretty warm. Um, as far as visiting schools, we, we just went through this whole process before um, starting our building, and we did a lot of visiting schools, getting ideas, getting our feet on the ground. Um, 
At the same time, we just did our CIS reaccreditation. So I was on top of a new building and every the whole visit, the team coming in. Um, at one point, I saw Chris's name was going to be one of our chairs to uh, to visit. I was like, oh, I was looking forward to that, but it didn't happen. Um, and yeah, I, my role here is also evolving, changing. So now moving towards more the um, educational technology side and how can we um, implement it uh, in the classrooms. Fantastic. Well, look, uh, real pleasure to have you, Holly. We're going to talk a little bit about, um, you know, living in Switzerland, uh, what, you know, places to live, what's it like to live, are the locals friendly? I can, I can give you some survey results to tell you what people actually say about uh, living in Switzerland uh, as opposed to, you know, we, we can compare that to your guys' experience. Um, so first of all, let's jump to get into like what are the, you know, let's break Switzerland down. Like what are the different regions? Obviously, people, everyone probably knows there's a French and a German speaking part and I believe a Swiss speaking part. Maybe John's a good person to kick this off. What, what are the regions and then within that, what are the kind of main cities where people go to work in international schools? Just so there are four languages, national languages, German, French, and Italian, and Romanche. And uh, the largest percentage of the country is German. They speak multiple different dialects, but the written and read language is German. And the next largest group is the Swiss French. They're about 20%. And they speak French, but of course, different dialects. And then Italian, which is about, I think, 2%. I might be off that. And then a very small percentage, almost 0.5%, are Romanche, which is also another dialect in the southeast. East Switzerland, and they actually have three distinctive different dialects uh, in, in the different valleys. So those are the four national languages. So when you're in Switzerland, often things are written in most commonly in uh, French, German, and Italian. <clears throat> and nowadays in English, you see more often. Fantastic. Uh, Gus, you said some, had something to say about German dialects. Well, um, so my family is all Swiss. My wife is from this region, this area. And just me learning German, um, obviously, when you go to school, you learn uh, standard German or high, or high German, Hofdeutsch. Um, but within my family, they speak five different dialects. So when we have Christmas together, it's, it's a bit challenging. We have um, just from where we live, we have three different dialects from our village to the mountain area where we live and where my children go to school. It's called the School on the Mountains, the Schulhausberg. Um, so it could be quite challenging to come through. Interesting. That's so interesting. And I think, you know, that's the case in a lot of different countries. We forget there's, you know, even within a small community, you can have different dialects. I'm sure if I went to your hometown in Yorkshire, I would not hear any, I wouldn't understand anything there. No, I mean, yeah, probably. I mean, if you, especially people like my granddad's generation, there was a lot of like, they would use almost like Shakespearean words. They would say, thou, how's thou doing through thee and thou and, and, yeah, yeah, you're right. I think I think it's becoming less though. I think I think okay. it's the same in most places, you know, with the internet and tr- and mobility and stuff. Yeah. Tim, you wanted to add about Ticino or the Swiss Italian section, please. Oh yes. So we're we're often forgotten about um, because we are. We like to say we're we live in Swiddly, uh because it's so close to the Italian border, um, and and it's been great. Uh, I'm from outside of Chicago, Illinois, originally. And so coming here and learning Italian, uh, it's been a challenge, but it's also been an amazing opportunity. 
but working and living in the community is is challenging talking about dialects because we have them here too and so sometimes we try to chat with our neighbors and we have no idea what they're saying even though they're speaking italian <laughs> um, yeah. and, and it, it does become a challenge but usually they, they all speak the um well we don't have a word for it but the high italian uh if you will and and we we get along it's it's great it's pretty chill down here in chichino so it's that part's nice yeah, interesting just okay. like you sorry Gus, you mentioned about the German being hard to understand. I mean, I, I mean, I, I did German at school, so I, I'm, and I was, I was a ski instructor in Austria, so I've kind of, I understand it re- relatively well. I don't, I don't speak it too well, but I found it like I found the Austrian, the Pinzgau, which is a region I go German, much harder to understand than the Swiss German. I found the Swiss German pretty, pretty easy compared to, compared to the Alps, Austrian Alps. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I guess. So what, what I would say is, um, seeing that this is my second stint in Switzerland, and like you, John, having lived in the in the German-speaking part first um, around Zurich, where, where Chris is at, um, and now living in the French-speaking part, I find it fascinating, um, similar to, to my parents for 14 years lived in Belgium, to live in a country where within the country, a lot of people don't understand each other, never mind about the dialects between the different valleys in, in, the, in the Swiss Alps and, and French dialects, but to actually see that difference and also that, I mean, I'm sure the same for Ticino, Tim, um, that the, the cultural heritage of um, likes and dislikes of people around you, you know, between the Francophones and the Italian speakers and the German speakers and how that all interplays and interchanges between one's own country is fascinating. Um, the fact that in parliament, you know, you obviously have to be representative of all those languages, but then in on the streets, often that's not replicated. And, and so people, within the same country often can't communicate, which is a, a whole different complexity, I think. Interesting. So let's kick off with what are the main regions that we talked about, the, the languages, like what, what, what is it? I mean, I really, really, I suppose it's cities, isn't it? I mean, Switzerland, I know there's a lot of schools in, in the Alps. So let, let's talk about the cities and the areas where, where schools are. So John, do you want to just mention briefly the, the main ones, and then we can jump in. You guys have got experience, I know, in Geneva and uh, Zug and Lucerne in, in, in Zurich, I think, so and the Alps as well. So it'd be great to get to get your perspectives. Yeah. So I would say there are three. The three largest cities are Geneva, which many people know because of its international standing and all the uh, UN organizations. There's Zurich, which is somewhat the financial capital, and then Basel, which has a big industry. Those are the three big cities, but there are many others. And I think I'm going to let Chris jump in because there are many different cities that are quite large Swiss standards, definitely not global standards, but uh, it's quite a populated country and there are quite a few cities. So Chris, over to you. Uh, thanks, John. Yeah, so ISL is situated in um, one of the smaller cantons, uh, Zug, um, and the main city is uh, of the same name, also Zug. Strange name, I remember hearing it uh, when I worked outside of Switzerland many years back. Um, I've been here 13 years now. Um, but um, yeah, a really charming um, charming canton and, and town. Um, it, it's uh, attracting um, a lot of uh, pharmaceutical companies, um, um, uh, biotech companies, and there's quite an industry uh, around there. So uh, uh, Roche, um, uh, they'll have over a thousand uh, people 
um, here, um, Merck, uh, um, whole whole string of them, and and uh, I think there's uh, some 300 uh, sort of international companies situated in um, Zug. Um, and uh, the Canton itself, uh, John, maybe you can explain a little bit more about how the taxes work, but there's both a federal tax and a, um, a cantonal tax. And uh, I think uh, Zug is known for um, a, quite a low cantonal tax and, and which is, makes um, yeah, an attractive place uh, for international companies to work. And, and that's where uh, our school and a number of other schools uh, in, in the canton, um, you know, take, take their children from. Um, but uh, I live, uh, it's, it's not a big canton. Uh, many of our teachers will live in uh, Luzerne, uh, much more uh, a, a busier city, uh, more to do. So a lot of our younger uh, teachers would live there. Um, I, uh, I've gone up the hill, uh, out of the fog, um, more into the snow, uh, in a little place called Agery or over Agery above the lake of, uh, Agery. And, uh, yeah, really appreciate the, uh, the quietness, the access to the hills, um, and, and lake lived by a lake. So in the summer, I'm in it and, or on it, um, and in the winter, uh, around it, um, it's, it's, it's very, very lovely. Great, Chris. And uh, Tim, you're going to tell us a bit about Lugano, which is the largest city in the canton of uh, Ticino. Correct. It's, uh, it's a really nice place to be. It's situated right on uh, Lake Lugano, which is uh, not a huge lake, but it's an interesting one. It kind of forms a U-shape and makes a little peninsula uh, that kind of dips down um, towards Italy. And it is it is a bit of a tourist destination. We get a lot of, uh, you hear a lot of German speakers coming uh, to visit and uh, a lot of places for, um, yeah, people from all over just to come and look at the palm trees. Uh, people don't think about Switzerland having palm trees, but we have lots of them. And uh, it's a big financial center as well, a lot of banks and other places, as you would imagine, very Swiss. There, uh, our school is situated a little bit above Lugano in a small town called Montagnola, and it's quickly filling up with people who want to be there. It's getting harder to find places to live that are affordable. <laughs> Speaking as uh, somebody working at a school, um, but uh, but there there's a lot of room for growth, and we're starting to see that. And it, uh, it's really just a, a lovely place to be. Thank you, Tim. Darren, you're up in the Alps, and what, one thing that would be interesting down the road is that Switzerland has a lot of traditions of old international schools up in Alpine settings. So maybe you can give us a bit of a context, because that's a little different. You're not in a city. You're in a small village, so to speak. Uh, let's hear from you. <clears throat> Thanks, John. Um, yeah, Eglon's in a, in a small village. I'd say that maybe there's about 3,000 inhabitants uh, not all at the same time. There's lots of holiday homes. Um, I say we're really, the roads are packed occasionally during the ski season. Um, but it is very different from city living. I lived in Bangkok before we came here, uh, and it was a real change. Um, I'd say that it's ideal for people that like an outdoors lifestyle. Um, we're still close enough to 
Montreux, Veve, Lausanne uh, for some life. Um, but it has its real benefits. You know, there's one bar for the students to go to, so it's easy to police uh, those social activities. Um, yeah, I, I, I work, Eglong's also a boarding school, so we, we call it the submarine because certainly between during term time, it, it's all encompassing. You're in the submarine um, and it, some, some months go by and you don't even leave the mountain um, realistically. Um, but it's a lovely place to live. It looks like, um, as you'd imagine, an alpine setting. Heidi lives here, that kind of thing. And what's interesting about where you are, you're not the only boarding school. There are other boarding schools in that same village. Yeah, that's sorry. <laughs> I should have mentioned that. Um, yeah, we're one of three. Um, there's, um, there's, there's two other boarding schools. Um, compa one comparative size to us and the other one slightly smaller. Uh, and there's also a day school as well, a kind of international day school. So actually for people looking to move and you've got two teachers working, then there are options to, to, um, to find employment in one of the other schools. Um, it, it also creates good competition for sports fixtures, um, as you'd imagine. Wolfgang, talk to us about Geneva. Yes. Uh, by the way, I, uh, maybe before I just looked up a couple of different facts and figures. I mean, obviously, don't take these as uh, as uh, there's apparently 97 international schools in Switzerland. Switzerland gets just over four million visitors a year, which is just over half of its population. Um, and then specifically to Geneva, one of the really interesting things is that the city of Geneva, about 200,000 uh, inhabitants population-wise, has about 80,000 foreigners because of all the international um, organizations. So just over 40% that live here are non-Swiss and associated mainly with organizations like the UN or, or CERN. Um, and then it, to, to, to complicate things even more, um, on both sides of the lake, which sort of Geneva um, forms around, on both sides of those uh, is, is France. So it's basically um, uh, on all sides of Geneva is the French border, pretty much. Um, on one side being the Jura mountain range, on the other side, the Alps, and in between um, Lake Geneva, which in a quiz question, people often fail at answering in terms of what the largest lake in Switzerland is. And because of the French border, passing through parts of the Lake Geneva or uh, Lac Léman, it isn't the biggest lake in Switzerland um, uh, because of that fact. But yeah, for me, um, so, so I've lived close to Zurich and both um, and here in Geneva and living in Geneva is, is, is fantastic. For me, having also lived in Asia and, and many other places, it's my eighth international school. It uh, surprisingly for such a relatively small city gives me that international uh, multicultural feel any day I want to, you know, whether it be restaurants and, and the multitude of, of different nationalities and ethnical cuisines that are represented here, or just going out and listening to all different languages or going to a Portuguese wine bar and the next day going to an Algerian restaurant. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty cool from that perspective. And yet, if I get on my, my bike, I'm out of the city within 10 minutes or so and in countryside, vineyards and farmland. Great. <clears throat> well, you guys are like uh, the t local tourist office should be all paying you a commission. This is amazing. Yeah. Everybody's going to be like, let's move. Yeah. 
Dan, I would I would like to I'm I'm just curious when you hear this, Dan, what are you thinking? Because you've traveled, so uh, does this represent the Switzerland that you know? Yeah, I think so. You know, I've I've been Switzerland quite a lot, but I've I've generally done short trips. I've never lived there, you know, and you get a very different feeling about a place living there to visiting. You know, Switzerland to visit is obviously a great place. It's beautiful. The cities are great. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. I, I you know I'm 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 learning a lot as as we go. John, do you want to talk a bit about Zurich? I don't think anyone here on the call is from Zurich, and you. I'm going to let Wolfgang there. because he worked in okay. Zurich, so I Fantastic. think it'd be better if the guests talk. Do you want to talk a bit about Zurich, Wolfgang? <laughs> sure. <laughs> so, and being so, German, that will be also a good perspective. Yeah, do you know? So, so I was talking to um, to a parent today, actually, and we were talking about language acquisition skills. I, I originally was a, a German teacher in Zurich, actually, at the uh, Zurich International School, and. One of the difficulties I, I was facing um, was getting students to be excited about learning German, full stop, but then also being excited about learning German because of the communication skills. And, and actually, it was very demotivating because they stepped outside of the classroom or school and wanted to um, apply their learned language skills and nobody really wanted to talk to them. Um, so, so the concept that even though potentially um, or officially, I believe Swiss German is a dialect rather than a language, it, it is very much spoken, as you know, spoken and um, actually um, uh, written as well. And so for what I found, at least for the most part in Swiss German speaking Switzerland, people would really rather not speak high or standard German. Um, and would rather speak English or another language for the most part. That doesn't mean that they won't speak to you in German, of course, but um, it, it, and I understand this, you know, originally my family and I'm from, from Bavaria, which is um, a very different spoken German to a lot of other parts of Germany. And so to switch to high or standard German when that isn't your comfort level and your comfort language or even dialect, uh, isn't always as comfortable, but Zurich's quite a quite a bit larger than than Geneva in terms of city. Um, I think, um, if I remember correctly, it's about um, about close to five hundred thousand, half close to there anyway in terms of population size. So uh, probably more than double um, or just over double the size of of Geneva. And as you said, it's more the financial center. So it's really interesting in terms of the actual. Um, yeah, I guess that the, the 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 energy you get to it, it's very different in terms of Geneva's formed around the lake, which Zurich is to a certain part, but actually Zurich's more formed around um, the Lima, the river. And so it, it also causes a little bit of a different atmosphere when you're walking through the city, because even though, again, Geneva has, has got the Rhone and, 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 and it's got rivers running through it, they have a very distinctly different atmosphere to them as cities. Um, they're both very so, international. Is, is a finance very much a financial center? Can, do you get a feeling when you're there that it's like a, it's mostly people in finance and banking and things like that? So, I mean, I can only talk really from 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 what I remember and the, the kind of um, lasting feelings I have when I felt like Zurich very much parts of the city center are um, financially orientated. So, say at, in the evenings, it's it's the atmosphere is much quieter and, and things are more closed down, even though there are, of course, lots of restaurants. Whereas I feel Geneva has a lot more, uh, a lot more residential areas within that city center 
maybe because it's a lot smaller, but so you have a lot more vibrancy and, and, and energy around the whole city, I think. Whereas in, in Zurich, it's more compartmentalized, I suppose. Would you agree with that, John? I mean, you lived there for, for quite yeah, a while as well. I, I, yeah, I mean, both cities are big finance centers, <clears throat> but I think Zurich is kind of the heartbeat. And yeah, I think it's always interesting. And I, I think, you know, when you are in a country, the geography where the river, the lake and those different things can really have an impact on the culture. You know, you have towns where there's a river that cuts the town in half and they're almost two distinctive, you know, rivalries because you're across the other river. So I think often the geography can really have an impact on the culture and the atmosphere. Dan? Yeah. Interesting fact about Zurich. There's a, I was reading this article, I sent it to you, John, I remember a year or two ago, but like, there's a certain illegal substance, which I, I won't mention so we don't get the podcast um, flagged, but Zurich has the highest consumption of any city in Europe. They can measure apparently from the water, they can measure it. And uh, interestingly, Zurich, despite being not seeing like a crazy party town, you know, people are, there's a lot of, um, a lot of misbehavior going on there, that's for sure. Well, yeah, you can always edit that out, John. <laughs> it's fascinating <laughs> to me. <laughs> Uh, interesting side note, Zurich is considered the gay capital of Switzerland. So it has a very, yeah, very, yeah. very vibrant gay community. And every summer they have the street parade. So it has a long history and also very much uh, quite open uh, to that uh, LGBTQ community, which is wonderful because Switzerland can, at some places, can be quite conservative. Great. Has anyone else not jumped in yet with with that area? I think we've gone around everyone there. Any 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 anywhere missing Gus. cars? I guess. Gus. Oh. oh, we are in the eastern part of Switzerland. Um, I guess our forte is that we're surrounded by the Swiss mountains. Um, we're right along the the Rhine, very long ways out. Um, I guess our benefit would be like I think I was talking to Dan in, in London and Bet that. Um, in 15 minutes, we can be at our house mountains uh, skiing. And when the global warming effect is not in place, like it wasn't, uh, uh, like I think three winters ago, we could actually ski down straight to my house. Uh, so right. from the mountains, go down straight to the house. Um, we get kind of spoiled, I guess, as far as like being able to choose which ski pist or house mountain you like to go to and because you are residents of that area you can buy uh, a ski pass for the family um, at a substantial discount and yeah um, being in books books on gallen um, it's a population i think it's around thirteen thousand. Um, where i live is graps graps uh, we're considered a small community a gemeinde with uh, eight thousand five hundred people just now fantastic yeah Thank Great. you, guys. So, so Basel, I guess we we don't have anyone here. Um, I guess John, you mentioned it's it's also. I know there's a few international schools there as well, so it is an option. Yep. I guess you said it's quite a big indus, industrial place as well. Big industrial, a lot of uh, borders Germany and France, and my birth home. Fantastic. Well, look, it's, we won't it's, talk about Basel. No, no. <laughs> It'd be great to talk a bit about the cost of living. I've, I've got an interesting anecdote. I remember about 10 years ago, I went to Zurich. Uh, I met Mark Dilworth, who was uh, actually invited to be on the call today. He used to be in the Zurich International School. And, um, you know, I was doing some Google training there. Told, Mark was a customer, so I'll, I'll take you out. We'll go for some drinks. And we went to a cocktail bar called Oak Crow, which is a really nice cocktail bar. And then I got the bill. And it was 34 euros a cocktail. And I was like, I can't believe it cost 34 euros 10 years ago, no, 10 or 12 years ago. I was like, I've never paid that much for a drink in my entire life as I've paid in Zurich. So 
I can definitely see the alcohol. Uh, maybe we chose, oh, rather, Mark chose the wrong place. But um, or the I'm right curious. place for him because you're the right place for him. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> but I'm curious about the cost of living. I think uh, Chris had a couple of points to start off. Yeah, I, I, um, I think Dan, Swiss, uh, Switzerland is known as a, a, an expensive place uh, to live, high cost of living. I remember um, before we made the move to live in Switzerland, you know, we uh, we travel from where we work, Netherlands, uh, Singapore. Uh, our children all learned to ski uh, in in Switzerland, but it cost us a fortune. Um, and uh, but actually, uh, as you move to Switzerland, um, the good things are the 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 salaries are high um, generally. Or, or, although um, international school teachers' salaries, we do not get paid as much as the local teachers working in the local schools. Uh, really? But there are good salaries and and low taxes, um, both federal and and cantonal. And I, and I know when we talk to our our teachers uh, during the recruiting, you know we'll we'll tell them uh, in terms of tax plus health, which is another significant cost, will represent around twenty percent, perhaps a little bit higher of of your salary. Um, but it's it's anything that you pay for that involves labor. So the dentist, the doctor, um, any uh, the plumber, electricians, you're going to pay a lot of money. Um, and as you're saying, a cocktail. Yeah, I, I think uh, Mark took you to a, a nice place. Thirty francs is an expensive cocktail, but you won't get one for you know less than eighteen or so. Now a glass of wine, twelve to fifteen, and and that when it's they say glass of wine, but it's not really a glass of wine because it's just 10 mils. It's a little puddle at the bottom of the glass. Um, 10 mils for uh, you know, 12 francs, 12, 15 francs. A coffee will set you back eight. You know, you go to Starbucks, you're not going to get any change out of 20 francs. Uh, and of course, meat. I think everyone who comes to, to Switzerland definitely eat less, eats less meat. Um, good for global warming, etc. So doing the right thing. But uh, <laughs> Not only that, it's the cost. A good steak is going to set you back a hundred francs a kilogram, uh, and you know they they disguise that a little bit at the grocer or the, the um, butchery uh, in that uh, they'll price it per hundred grams. So ten francs a hundred grams doesn't sound so bad, but uh, yeah, you order three, four hundred or a decent T-bone, yeah, you've just done yourself a hundred francs, and that's just the meat. Yep. So cost of living is high, but uh, the, I guess the nice thing is that uh, you get to choose, you know, what you're spending your money on. The taxes are low and that pays for excellent health uh, services, hospitals, uh, etc. cetera. Uh, everything works in Switzerland. Um, and, and then you decide how you're spending uh, the rest of your money. So there is a balance and uh, it's part of the reason, I guess, that uh, we have stayed here. Uh, for as long as we have, because we can make it work uh, as as a teaching uh, one and a half. Um, you know, we don't both both work. Whereas in other other countries, when I was in the Netherlands, uh, I was losing money. Interesting. Uh, Darren, do you want to add something? Uh, you had a mountain experience. Yeah, I think. I mean, Chris is. So right, if you uh, if you go and try and have a life 
outside of school, then it's, you're going to pay for it. But I think the pensions are good, healthcare's good, um, and certainly the supermarkets. Uh, once once you get over the initial shock of the costs, then they're quite reasonable compared to your income, your salary, uh, and you can provide fun at home, invite people around, and things like that. Um, and enjoy the holidays. We go back to the UK and we walk around Waitrose going, oh, it's so cheap. Oh, let's have two of those. Um, so, yeah, that's what I want to say. I'd also say if you are planning to move to Switzerland, check the canton your school's in because different cantons have different tax rates, uh, which seems strange uh, coming from other countries where you have one fixed tax rate. Great. Uh, I think uh, Tim was going to add something. Oh, sure. Uh, one thing I was just having a conversation with my parents about, uh, they're in the U.S. and the cost of living is rising with inflation and those sorts of things. And one thing I try to tell them here about living here is that while it's expensive, it kind of stays that way. <laughs> like there's not this big fluctuation, at least where I'm in, uh, in Ticino, we're not really feeling it as much. It's just, it's always expensive, uh, but at least it, it's stable <laughs> and predictable, uh, which is nice. Um, but then the other benefit of being uh, down South is we can pop over the border into Italy where things are very inexpensive. Uh, and we have a lot of my colleagues who just go there for their uh, weekly grocery shopping and for restaurants or haircuts or other things that uh, make life uh, a lot easier to to afford here. You know, it's an interesting side point, nice Tim. I think that's, that's becoming increasingly common just across Europe with, with high costs. So like a lot of Czech people always went to Germany to buy food because it, it's just a lot cheaper and, and better quality. But now I know like tons of Czech people, they drive all the way to Dresden, which is an hour, hour and a half drive. Um, they load up on a few weeks shopping and, and come back to Prague. You know, it's it's, it's really a common situation there. Yeah. Uh, John, you're muted there. In Switzerland, that's the same case. We can go to France and spend up to 300 francs a day per person. And there was actually a referendum that didn't take off. They were going to change it to 50 francs, but they realized that there would be a revolution. So in my area, which is close to France, I would say if you go to a French supermarket, 70% of the cars will have Swiss license plates. Interesting. Uh, because, but not, it's interesting also, not everything is cheaper in France. Some things are more expensive. Like if you're going to buy garden stuff and, and trees and, you know, you home gardening, much cheaper to buy in Switzerland than in France and vice versa. So I think it's interesting. And I think your point's an interesting one. I think all over the world, we're seeing because of high inflation and, and cost of living increases, people now are much more comfortable. And in Europe, we don't have the borders as much. So it's quite easy just to drive across. And, and likewise, Wolfgang, you were going to add a bit about cost of living. Yeah, just just uh, in terms of a couple of points, like Tim, what what interested me also, like in the last last twelve months, I went to the U U.S. twice, and and the area I was in, which which was between New York, uh, New Hampshire, and Massachusetts, I found it to actually be more expensive there. And again, fair enough, I was on holiday, but but with friends. Um, that lived there, I found it to be more expensive there, actually, in certain terms than, than here in Switzerland. And I do think also listening to Chris, that there is a, 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 a massive difference within Switzerland, also what things cost, you know, 
um, going back to Dan's uh, alcohol consumption point, you know, in, in Geneva, I can find a, a pint of beer for as little as five francs 50 or as expensive as 12 francs, um, depending on where you go and what you do. Same with food. I can eat much cheaper in Geneva than I can across the board in France. Um, and, and having a house in France, you know, the, the average cost, I would say, going out with a bottle of wine between two people is probably between 35 and 50 euro now, whereas in Switzerland, um, certainly in Geneva, I would say I can get away with less than that to a certain degree. Um, but I think that that's really the difficulty, isn't it? Um, I think it depends on your family situation. Do you have kids? Do you not have kids? Um, what are you used to in terms of spending? If you're somebody that goes out a lot, Switzerland becomes expensive very quickly. If you prefer cooking at home, then you learn how to take advantage of deals. You know, there's supermarkets who've got incredible deals not just for Swiss uh, um, standards, but actually across the board. But then adding to that one thing that I noticed, and I knew that before, um, Swiss, Swiss are incredibly proud, of course, of their own produce, and they produce a lot of very, very high quality, um, not just food and, and, and other things, but as geopolitical situations changed in the last sort of two years, three years, prices across the globe, and certainly within Europe, uh, rose. But in Switzerland, actually, that didn't really happen so much because Swiss buy Swiss products, for the most part. And so, you know, the cheese, the milk, the meat, which was always very high, didn't really change very much because the supply chain didn't change, change and the cost of that didn't change. Um, and Switzerland, and too, uh, had a, has a very low inflation rate, under 4%, compared to a lot of other places that were hitting 7, 8, 9. So, and well, with it was almost, almost 20 in the Czech Republic. Uh, yeah. So I think uh, that, that's something. You know, one thing that when we were, <clears throat> Dan and I were talking with our, your colleagues uh, in Saudi Arabia, you know, when, you, when you're an expat and you move to a new country or you move to a new city, you come to a new school, uh, you know, you can hang out with the people at school, but sometimes you might have a neighbor, you might be in, in a neighborhood or an apartment block, or you might join a local sporting team or a social club. Be curious, what is it like being an expat in Switzerland, being a foreigner that's working in an international school? So you have your visa, you've got your housing, and you kind of settle in. What is that like? And maybe let's start with Gus. Oh, okay. Um, I just wanted to add quickly about the Swiss buying. I mean, we, we are very close to the border. We're seven minutes away from Liechtenstein, from the mountains, and very close to Ferkirk in Austria as well. But in my, like, I'm the only foreigner in my extended family, and um, my in-laws are very proud, very proud to be Swiss, very proud to be where they come from, and they won't cross over to buy something outside of Switzerland just out of pride. Um, even they even have their supermarkets that they go to, um, and the village where we live at, it's all very local. It's sort of more like that feeling of. It's more expensive here, but you buy it here, you're putting it into the community. I mean, I know the farmers firsthand. I know the butchers firsthand. I see where the cows are coming from up and going up and down the Alps. So there's that little connection. Um, as far as um, being an expat, I guess you might not tell by just looking at me, but here in this school, I'm like the Swiss local guide because um, all of the other families here come from different parts. Um, and I'm the one really tied in to the Swiss community. My wife is Swiss and she's a Swiss teacher as well. So there's a lot of back and forth, how it is on the local school side, um, how it is to get in, into the community. I would have to say um, my neighbors uh, were the first ones, even though they knew that we were coming in and they knew who I was. Um, 
I think after 10 years, um, they have still not warmed up to come and knock on the door. It's sort of like still by appointment, even though on the same street, we might pass each other. We'll say hi every once in a while, but just for them to come up to the door, it has to be something like formal and planned and we're coming over and bring, we're bringing this. Um, and even though these are people that I've known uh, for 10 years now. Great. Well, look, just quickly to jump into the um, what it's like. So I think you know we've got a got a few more topics to get through. Um, you know, I think a lot of people listen to this. They may be thinking about going to work in Switzerland. Maybe there's some single people, some married people, families, people without kids, and it'd be great to get a bit of a feel different. You know, obviously there's the boarding school experience Darren can speak about, and then the cities which you guys can talk about. Um, just to tee it up, there's um, an organization called Internations. I'm not sure if any of you have heard of it. I used to actually, um, it's an organization for expats to do meetups. I used to actually go, when I first came to Prague, I used to go to quite a lot of Internations meetups. I actually met my wife there, funnily enough. Uh, and um, so I definitely trust what they say. And they've got a survey of the best and worst places for expats in 2023. And I would like, let, let's have a, a show of hands. Who would think Switzerland would be in the top half? Uh, one, that's just Wolfgang. Uh, and Chris, who would think it would be in the bottom half? Uh, that's roughly equal. Actually, you're all pretty much correct. It's right in the middle, out of the, out of um, 53, um, actually slightly in the top half, so the top half wins. Out of 53 surveyed, um, it's roughly 23, so below the Czech Republic, but above Sweden. So it, interesting. It's it's kind of, and I I would I would choose, I would put a lot of um, emphasis on on their results, you know, because they they're all all their members are expats in these different countries. Out of interest, the, the top five are Mexico, Spain, Panama, Malaysia, and Taiwan. And the bottom 10, the bottom five are Germany, South Korea, Turkey, Norway, and Kuwait. So there we go. But I'm curious what you guys think. Um, you guys are all expats apart from John. Um, what's it like as a place to live? Um, you know, families, single people, any perspective you guys can give would, would be great. Uh, Wolfgang, Germany's not bottom, it's fifth from bottom. <laughs> there you go. We'll take that. Um, uh, John, I think you're on mute. Oh. Aaron, why don't you go ahead and start from the village? Um, yeah, I was going to just talk about ex the experience of moving to Switzerland from Asia. Um, it was a real shock. Um, and it was a real shock in terms of. Um, it was really nice having seasons again. So having kind of autumn was exciting with the leaves falling and the weather changing um, and spring was nice. Um, but it was a real shock in terms of getting help with um, anything, really. You get so pampered in Asia with um, domestic help, childcare, uh, things like that. And it was... It was um, yeah, it was an interesting move. We, um, I think Sunday nights I used to call crying night because my children would be crying, uh, I'd be crying, uh, missing Asia. But it, but it was worth it. After about seven months, we really saw the benefit of Europe uh, and, and also the ability to drive back to, back to home as well to see family and things like that. Um, and I know certain people were kind of during COVID times, we're unable to travel back. And we felt very privileged that we could actually drive through the Europe, through the tunnel, uh, go and see family. Great. Great. Who is in terms of the boarding school life, who, who, who do you think that's suited for? Is it suited for like couples, singles, or does it just depend on your personality, would you say? 
I think I think it it depends on your personality. It is all kind of consuming at times, um, but I think there are, there are real benefits. You know, there's a, a definite routine that goes beyond just the working day. Um, and I think there's real rewards of working with students, not just in the classroom, but in other spaces and other learning environments. Um, I would say that, you know, often some roles come with accommodation and all their meals. So there's a financial benefit as well. Yeah. Um, so. Great. Tim, you're in a boarding school. Tell us also your perspective. Yeah, we're, we're part boarding, part day. Uh, and so for me, this was my first boarding school that I worked at. I didn't grow up going to a boarding school. I was public school uh, person, Chicago suburbs, <laughs> very traditional like US style. And so this was a big change for me uh, to be so involved at work uh, on a like just a social and personal level. And I did the dorm parenting thing for a little while, and that was very interesting, but it was late nights and a lot of weekends that we spent, uh, and I was looking for more of a work-life work -life balance, and so I got out of that. But I will say, um, having it, like working in a boarding school, it's been amazing for just getting to know my colleagues and a lot of my really good friends here are because we spend so much time together. And there's also that other aspect of it becomes kind of a bubble where it's hard to break out uh, and get to know other people in the community because you're spending so much time with your coworkers who are now your friends. And Tim, um, go ahead. Does that mean it's much more suited to couples? I mean, that's what maybe the implication, I guess, because I guess if you went there as a single person, um, your dating pool would, sounds like it would be restricted to other staff members at the school because you're not really going to get out anyway. Is that, is that, is that the case? Um, I can speak as somebody who came in as a single person and met my wife here. Uh, right. and she was my neighbor. Oh, wow. Uh, she's also, she also works at the school. Uh, so that was quite lucky. We do have a number of couples that met and got married, uh, while being, while working here, but we also have a lot of single people who find it tough to find a partner. And in, I don't know, the last eight years or so, the dating apps have, you know, kind of taken hold in this part of, uh, of Switzerland. And so that's mm -hmm. happening, but it's it's a challenge. And I do think that sometimes we lose uh, some of our colleagues because they're looking for, uh, you know, a romantic relationship and have had a hard time finding it here because, yeah, limited pool. And especially if you don't speak the language, it, it can and be do tough. Many people come, many teaching couples come with their children to boarding schools because they want their, their kids to have that kind of mountain experience. Or is, is it mostly people, just couples coming? We have a lot of families here that come in as a family or stay and then become a family <laughs> uh, with kids. And I, I will say, I don't have children, but it's an amazing place to have kids because in the dining halls, there are always adults around and other people uh, and other kids for, you know, uh, just kind of a family vibe that goes on. Some people don't like that because the kids can be running around and annoying <laughs> uh, sometimes. But for the most part, it's really a great place uh, to be. And you can, you know, people use the gym with their kids uh, and play games. And it's like I like to say, it's instant community here, which is a really nice place to grow up, I think. Fantastic. Um, 
Wolfgang, uh, obviously Geneva, one of the biggest places people go. How would you say, you know, how would you put that as a place, uh, place to live? And who would it appeal to, or is it everybody? Right. So, so um, the school I came from previously, United World College, was also a boarding school, and that was my first boarding school as well. So I can relate to 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 what you're saying, there, Darren and, and Tim. And you know, uh, we're sort of chatting on the side, and one thing I said is that the, the sort of connections that you make with with uh, staff, but also with students, is something you would never experience at a at a day school because because of the intensity, the, the 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 fact that you're basically their guardian, um, and and so on and so forth. There's so many interesting benefits as an educator uh, at a boarding school, and then and then from there I moved to probably the 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 or one of the biggest international schools in the world. And our director general just spoke to us yesterday. Said we're now at just over four and a half thousand students for the foundation and at over 140 different nationalities. Um, which in itself creates this whole other, um, I wouldn't call it a bubble, but it's its own culture, its own culture, its own language, its own di or dialect, not language. Um, and, and I'm trying to, I've got a little um, mental group, a, a pastoral group of 24 students, and I'm, I'm, we're, we're talking about sort of manners and, and things that we find rude and acceptable. And it's quite an interesting conversation because I think oftentimes we forget especially in these international set, uh, settings, we're very quick to judge others on what's rude and what's not rude, forgetting that actually in different cultures that may be very acceptable, if not polite. Um, and, and there are many, many cases where, where the, the, the polar opposites are true. And, and, and I find that fascinating. What, what I would say is, I mean, looking specifically at Tassas, for example, Darren uh, uh, Eglon, it's, it's, it's interesting because um, what may seem to some as a restrictive environment in terms of that bubble you describe, actually in the European setting where most teachers are not so much um, in need of forming their direct social circles within the staff um, due to language um, abilities, you know, you can, you can easily navigate through Switzerland or most European countries and their schools in English. And so there's no, not so much need as there is in Asia or other parts in the world to have a, a community of expats. Um, I would see that actually as a benefit of being in a boarding school because uh, it creates, again, that sort of um, expatriate or, or educational community where people are probably very happy to hang out with each other due to necessity of being a boarding school. So it's quite an interesting concept, I think, of, of something that people may forget about that's often not as uh, easy in Switzerland, as, as you mentioned before. It's easy enough to meet people, but actually it's not so easy to have a collegial friendship group as easily because people just disperse a bit freer. Yeah, that, I think that's a really important point. Chris, you've been in Switzerland, correct me if I'm wrong, 13 years. So it'd be interesting, and Gus alluded to that story of his neighbors. It's been 10 years and they have to book a Google Calendar invite to knock on his door. Uh, but I'm just wondering, how about you? Because you've, uh, uh, you have children, uh, your family's been here. 13 years uh, do you feel swiss uh, you have you become swiss can one become swiss um i well i think you can and then my youngest son is working towards that uh, for sure but i it it takes work right you have to be committed and and to be fair um i have not entered into the, the language learning as enthusiastically as uh, i should and and would uh, be i think expected to by uh, increasing expectations uh, around uh, permits, um, citizenship, etc., um, because 
Switzerland increasingly is being recognized as, you know, a, a very good place to live. Um, around Switzerland, I think, around the percentage of expatriates living in Switzerland is around 25%. Uh, and every year, you know, many of our parent bodies, you know, they'll, they'll come for a couple, but they, they stay on uh, and on. Uh, because Switzerland is an attractive place to to live, you know it, it strikes a balance of health and wealth, uh, in, in employment. We, we said uh, inflation, very low quality of education, environmentally, um, you know, a beautiful clean air, uh, access to the mountains, uh, and uh, enjoys, I, I think, some of the longest living uh, or expected life uh, life expectancy uh, countries around the world. I think it rated top three, etc. cetera, uh, regularly. Um, and that's because they intentionally seek to um, yeah, encourage people to be healthy. So there's tax advantages for joining the gym, uh, et cetera. Um, and yeah, and, and in terms of you know, friendliness, I, I agree very much with, with Gus. The Swiss are known to be standoffish, um, uh, but uh, you know, our, our house uh, that we live in, um, and I say house as a series of apartments, you know, we have a wonderful mix of, of German, Swedish, Norwegian, uh, British, uh, and Swiss people, and, and we get on. You know, we will have uh, drinks at, before Christmas time. Everyone comes over to our house. We've had a barbecue here in our yard with uh, everyone here. Uh, not everyone in, uh, will come over, uh, and that's that's just individual differences. But uh, you know, the, the local Swiss friends here uh, do that. Um, it, we live in a small village, and that's one of the nice things. Also, um, people get to know each other, and they'll greet each other. I love the way that even uh, teenage children—you're walking by the lake of an evening, and they will say "grutzi" to you, you know, "hi." Uh, you don't get that in some of the bigger cities uh, and towns. When you're walking in uh, the mountains, uh, you walk past people, and and they will say "hi," uh, "grutzi," "grutzi mitenond." If there's more than one of you, and I like that. That's great. And I think what's interesting is we hear you talk about, you know, long the, the quality of life, the good packages. The, the reality is the turnover of teachers in Switzerland is very small. So I think, Dan, that's another interesting thing is often <clears throat> people would like to come to Switzerland. I know in the school that I'm at, there were only two of us that came in out of a population of 90 teachers. And we were the first two hired in, I think, four or five years. So the turnover is very small. I don't know if anybody else can attest to that. Maybe in the boarding school it's different. But uh, I'm wondering if anybody would agree that, you know, if you're looking for a job in Switzerland, the, the openings are far few in between, maybe? Or am I wrong in saying that? I don't know if anybody wants to add to that. Yes, Gus. Yeah, I think in the in the bigger cities, perhaps the turnover tends to be a little bit higher. I mean, you have more possibilities, more international schools to move uh, within the city. But I would say, like, 
uh, like where we're at um, or the schools that are around this region, um, turnover is extremely low. Um, uh, we've had teachers here. I mean, the school is only 20 years old, but we've had teachers here that have been here from, from the beginning, from, mm. the, from the start of the school. Um, and I think if you do come, like some families have come in with their children and they get into the program and they want to see out the, the MYP, the DP, the diploma, they want to follow it all the way through. Um, and then afterwards, you know, there's, well, they decide to stay, <laughs> they, you know, this becomes home for them. Um, one of our uh, DP uh, coordinators just became Swiss uh, also last year. And for him, this is home as well. It's like, you know, his kids were here, they graduated from the DP diploma, but he considers this now his home. So Interesting. Uh, when we were in Zurich, it would say maybe three years, four years, perhaps, and then either move to a different school, a different part of Switzerland, but yeah, that's what I'm Chris, saying. Chris, thank you, Gus. Chris, you do a fair amount of hiring. Would you say you've noticed that, that you don't, when you go to fairs, you have a smaller uh, set of openings and maybe some of the similar size schools in Europe or even in Asia? Uh, yeah, I've, uh, I've worked in Asia uh, as well as Europe uh, in different schools. And um, yeah, our our openings consistently, uh, yeah, very very low, a very small percentage um, uh, of staffing of you know around three hundred total, uh, around two hundred faculty, and um, yeah, if we have a cohort of uh, you know ten or twelve, that's it's quite a large large group. Um, but you know that's also longevity. Others spoke of uh, the teachers staying. That has its own issues, right? Um, you want to bring in uh, new ideas, uh, new energy, uh, different perspectives, uh, and so we all, all schools, try and strike a balance uh, between uh, longevity. And I think our average stay is, is uh, well over five years. Um, and uh, you know, we recognise the faculty uh, twenty, well, five, ten, fifteen, etc. And uh, indeed, one of my staff members um, was acknowledged for 25 years um, at ISL uh, just last year. Uh, to be fair, he, he was also a student uh, that moved into IT. But um, uh, yeah, no, uh, low turnover, absolutely, uh, and uh, difficult to get in. And then when people do, they tend to stay. Darren, do you think in a boarding school it's different because of maybe the challenges, as Tim was saying, that you know you're in a bubble, you're much tighter, uh, a community. I I I think the pattern's similar for us. That actually, um, in recent years, our main recruitment has been driven by growth. Um, I think there are certain roles. So we have assistant house parent roles, uh, and these typically are for younger people who tend to come for a few years and then move on, maybe do more study or then become house parents themselves. Um, but in general terms, uh, Wolfgang said, uh, if, if you've done less than 10 years, you're a newbie. Uh, and I, I think that's the case for most Swiss schools. Interesting. Dan. Yeah, I think that's great. I think um, we've, we're definitely already over time and we haven't even covered a third of the topics I've got on my list. So I think that's a sign we should do another podcast. I learned a lot. It's great. Um, 
yeah, John, what, what, what's what, what's what's interesting to you hearing other people's perspective on uh, on Switzerland? Is it what you would expect people to say? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, you know, I have uh, definitely, you know, Swiss tend to be quite insular. They live with their community. I mean, I'm still hanging out with my friends from elementary school and middle school, and we socialize and we we do a lot together, and we're not really expanding that circle. And you know, some of these. Uh, friends, we were in a football club together as elementary school, and we kept, you know, those contacts. So I think that's quite common, but that's common in a lot of other societies. I know in Luxembourg, it was the same. So I think there's certain cultures where that that familiarity and that tight knit is really important. It's kind of a, 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 a you know, I don't know if it's a protection, but it's just a, a way to keep that connectivity and those familiarities. It's great to hear, you know, I think what I appreciated was people saying, yes, it's expensive, but it's about also dispositions and how you go about things. And I think that's really true. Yeah, if, if you just don't think about it and just go willy nilly, you're going to be drinking like Dan at 34 francs a cocktail. My cocktail costs 14 francs, so come to my place. <laughs> but also just lovely to hear everybody's perspective and also the different schools, the boarding schools and things like that. Uh, I think it's really interesting. And, you know, I think when people decide about a location, so often they don't have that information. And I want to thank Chris, Tim, Wolfgang, Gus, and Darren for being so open and transparent, but also sharing their perspectives. It's just been really helpful and so nice to hear about your own country quite positively. So thank you. Great. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining the pod today. And uh, let's do another one. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Bye-bye.